Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. I'm just going to start demanding things from the DOJ. I think you can just do that right now. There's just like a ticker thing, like at a just counter at a deli. Just write him a letter. Just write him a letter. It doesn't even need to be strongly worded. Just go through Twitter. That's better. That's true. It that out. seems Tweet to be Twitter. the thing. That's how the government runs at this point. And you got to start by with start with I hereby demand. I hereby <laughs> demand. <laughs> I need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Barstool Politics. It is freaking hot in here. Sorry, it's really hot in the room we're recording. <laughs> so, <laughs> some, just, summer has crept in. Summer has crept in. Thank God. Um. Yeah, I'm your host, Nick McGuire, uh, joined as always by uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Philium, or or what Billup. was the other one? Billup. That that was the other one. I couldn't I couldn't remember my own joke. Yeah, like both of those. <laughs> <laughs> I want to write those down before I forget it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh yeah, in- interesting week starting with demands and spy Spygate. Oh. That's just that's gonna be a good movie. You know, some idiot's gonna make a movie out of that. There's gonna be so many movies made out of this. So oh, many documentaries. It's gonna be yeah. great. So many narration voices going. Mm-hmm. He he re- he was lying there. <laughs> he, was he, was, lying he wasn't telling there. the truth when he said that. <laughs> just freeze frame on him. <laughs> what he just said is one hundred percent incorrect. Mm. Um, yeah, I, let's dive into this one the doj and the fbi are uh, they're they're not doing so hot this week it raises the question of can the investigated order an investigation of the investigators as long as they do it through twitter we That's just right. established this let's move on <laughs> so, so on sunday president trump put his twitter foot down and demanded the special counsel special counsel investigators be investigated for their investigation of trump investigated his, yes his tweet read Quote, I hereby demand, and will do so officially tomorrow, that the Department of Justice look into whether or not the FBI DOJ infiltrated or surveilled the Trump uh, Trump campaign for political purposes. Trump was referencing reports that the FBI had used a secret informant to gather information from three t- Trump associates during the 2016 presidential campaign. Trump is claiming the FBI has inserted spies into his campaign. Specifically, he stated, a lot of people are saying they had spies in my campaign. If they had spies in my campaign, that would be a disgrace to this country. That would be one of the biggest insults anywhere anyone has ever seen. It would make probably every political event ever look like small potatoes. Ever, ever. (laughs) Small potatoes. Trump's demands go beyond his usual attack on the special counsel uh, and represent an unambiguous effort uh, by the president to pressure the Justice Department. Since Watergate, presidents have not made or attempted to influence decisions about individual law enforcement investigations. Trump's actions get to the core of the idea of judicial independence. That said, Trump's tactics appear to have worked, as he and key Republicans are going to be allowed to review classified information about a, about the confidential FBI source. So our options here are either the Obama administration was spying on the Trump campaign, or Trump is single-handedly destroying one of the core elements of the American democracy. Phil, 
Which is it? The hyperbole in that statement. I know. I was, I was laying it on thick there. <laughs> well, I, I, so I'll go back to our old fallback, which is that two things can be true. It, it could, could be that Obama was spying on Trump. And even if that were the case, the president ordering the, the Department of Justice to investigate something could also be crossing the boundaries of what's acceptable. He didn't order. He demanded. Demanded. They could have said no. It was just a demand. So I I think they both could be true, but I, the, I mean, the, I mean, I I guess. No, Bill. No, but the first one's not true, right? Until maybe it is. There hasn't been evidence that the first. Yes. The first part of that. uh, sentence or that scenario is true. Uh, there, there's no evidence that the Obama administration ordered the investigation other other than FBI initiated things tied to yes. um, investigations that were already going on or things that the Trump administration, people within the Trump administration did that, that you know, brought up red flags. And, but that matters, right? I mean, so the, the issue is, is that the FBI was looking into three individuals within the Trump campaign, Papadopoulos, Carter, and whoever the third guy was, and they suspected them of being foreign agents. That's why you send uh, the informant in. You know, the idea is that you think these three are, have, have engaged in criminal behavior and are working on behalf of the Russian government. That's right. different than spying, right? I mean, it's a totally different dynamic. But it's they're not really clear on the informant whoever the person is which from my understanding he's he's he's, yeah he's a university professor and the story that i heard uh, what can't trust those (laughs) no absolutely not they're pieces of shit um he he was a university professor um who didn't have a direct tie to the trump campaign but did have a tie to the fbi or had ties to the fbi which I don't know what the hell that means. Like, that just sounds ambiguous, and, like, there's not a lot of clarity on what his actual interaction with the... How do you just have connections with the FBI? A lot of informants out there, Nick, a lot of them. Not, it's just a web? Yeah, just they're out Just a there. web of people who just talk to the FBI on occasion? But there's nothing wrong with the FBI using informants. This this happens all of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, there, now, you're right that there has to be evidence that Carter Page, Papadopoulos, and these individuals were engaging in conduct that would rise to the level of, you know, potential being a foreign agent if, if not then it is then it's you know it's big potatoes but the implication but even, go ahead even if it doesn't rise to that level that's the point of an investigation mm-hmm. right i mean if they have tips that you know if, if they have tips that so you know that bob is a terrorist they investigate and maybe I, they I find out bob. that he is and maybe they find out that he isn't but if he's if he isn't a terrorist and they investigated and figured that out they haven't necessarily broken any rules at that point mm-hmm. right? right they're just doing their job exactly yes and and trump is drawing all this attention to the fact that three of his campaign officials were suspected for being agents of the russian government like it seems to me like people just they don't get that nick nah it's a big deal nah whatever now, it's not it, him. They don't, they don't care. <laughs> so there's this distinction between, you know, Trump, I think we'll talk about this, but Trump is being very good about this. He's arguing that there were political motivations here. Mm-hmm. The other argument is that there were criminal motivations here, that the FBI was driven by concerns over criminality by these three individuals engaging potentially as FBI or, I mean, as informants, not informants, got as agents of the Russian government, which Carter Page had already been on the radar years before for being an agent. Mm-hmm. This is terrible, gentlemen. <laughs> this is this is the president having a campaign full of potential Russian spies and then attacking the Department of Justice and the FBI for looking into that. Well, I mean, I 
I tend to think that the reason he's attacking the FBI is because there's not really any other defense, right? If you've hired three, four people who have such close ties to the Russian government that they are potentially officially Russian agents, then there's not, I mean, what's your defense for that? In this case, your defense could be, we didn't know. But if you're president of the United States, you should know, right? You should yeah. have you should have vetted these people and, and known that. And so the the... The, I mean, the, the proper response would just be to fire them and, you know, push them away. But instead, it's to attack the investigators. Well, I mean, I think his proper response, at least in, in his uh, his mind, will be, I, I'm not supposed to do that. That was supposed to be someone else's job, and I had nothing to do with it. I think it's still a plausible deniability argument, and he's not... I, I still think it's going to be extremely hard to find a direct connection with him. Which realistically is the only reason that this is occurring at the level that it's occurring. Isn't that but a better? If you, if, oh, go ahead. If you pulled out the old political playbook, though, the the plausible deniability, the 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 whole idea would be that it, the the smart thing would be for Trump to fire them and say, "I had no idea. Right. The, you know, my yeah. vetters didn't know." But to instead essentially defend them and to attack the people who are investigating them. I, that works against the plausible deniability aspect. I didn't say of it. he was doing well with it. Okay, <laughs> no, I just I mean, said I, what the argument is going to be. No, I, I think you're right. I just think it's a it's a different. It's certainly a different approach to plausible deniability than <laughs> well, than I, Reagan or others would have done. Mm-hmm. I would say he's being successful. I think I think you're both of you are right. It's a bad argument to make. All he would have to do is say, if anything happened, I'm upset by it. It's terrible. You know, they're no longer part of my campaign. I think this is working. Because what's happened is he's out there. I mean, he was tweeting all over the weekend. Today, there were multiple tweets. I mean, he was saying, you know, Spygate. He's calling it Spygate, which is, again, so good at naming things. Could be one of the biggest political scandals in history. That works. Earlier today, he was talking about the criminal deep state. He is directly attacking the Justice Department. He's directly attacking uh, the FBI. And I think that is working in a way that when you have former DOJ officials on the, you know, the talk shows and they're explaining the difference between a spy and an informant, people are snoozing and not paying attention. Mm-hmm. I, I am terrified that his narrative is more successful uh, because he's such a he's so good at delivery. Wait, what, how long does it take till we get... Uh tweets or, or some sort of comment about why there weren't informants uh, for the, the Clinton campaign and <laughs> the, the email servers. Why, clearly yeah. you knew something was going sure. on, so why didn't you have informants there? Well, oh, Nick, this is just so... It's <laughs> a fan of democracy, this is troubling. And Okay, so here's the other element to this. So Trump tweets this out, and I, I my sense of it is that this is, it's like Phil, it's, it's absurd, right? He... If, if he if these individuals are not guilty of that, there's better ways of pursuing that. But he's nevertheless tweets, attacks the DOJ, attacks the FBI. And then Rod Rosenstein responds by immediately, almost, I mean, within a couple hours, has a report out saying, oh, if this happened, this is terrible. I'm going to have the inspector general look into this. So not only is he directly attacking these core institutions of the government, of the democracy, but then Rod Rosenstein, who I'm thinking knows better, right? He he would yes. know whether this informant was... Shame on him. Exactly. But, but I wonder, is it shame on him or is it... Mm-mm. You know, I'm, I, I have to do something. I'm going to throw this to the inspector general, who I know is going to come back with nothing. These reports take a couple of years. Is he trying to find this middle ground where he says, I have to placate my president, and to do so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some of this credibility, even though it is awful? But 
I, I think that may be what he's doing, but you know, I the the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Oh, I mean, this is this, this is the <laughs> like to placate the president. Like, we'll do this. That's chipping away at these norms. Yes. He should say if he's in charge of this and it's wrong for the president to basically demand some an investigation into opponents or whatever. Um, he should say so. And if he gets fired for that, he gets fired for that. That's the whole that's, you know, you you have ethics and boundaries and norms and limits and you stand up for them. This is the sort of we've talked about. Should people say something and quit their job? This seems like a place where this president that the the president has you know steps back from the law enforcement side of things that the department of justice is allowed to operate without political influence that's an important aspect law enforcement should not be political it should be legal and not political and when the president starts to cross that line that's a place where someone you know that's a place where you make a stand and you say i'm not you, he doesn't have to make a stand just ignore it donald trump tweets 30 things a day and forgets them within two days. Just ignore it. Can't do it, he's, man. He, he's, he's legitimized it by yes. doing this. Yes. Go ahead, Nick. No, I, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you in any way. I think they're in a tough position, especially at, at this point in American history where this perceived lack of transparency and political influence in these institutions is really hampering their ability to actually get their jobs done. I think he had to do something, and I, I agree with you in the sense that some sort of placating investigation will take place, and it'll go away, and it'll be forgotten once the next tweet storm happens. I think this was the path of least resistance. Having said that, I, I agree that it's kind of stripping away the institutional norms that we're used to, but at this point, I'm not sure how many institutional norms are left, right, espe yeah. especially at the federal judicial level everything is up for grabs from both sides of the yeah. political spectrum and let's assume that rosenstein knows all of what we're talking about which he does and he also knows that if he doesn't respond trump may use that as grounds for firing him yep. in which case then trump can appoint somebody new maybe even appoint a new attorney, attorney general who's completely political oh, he's good yeah right and so i don't know if this happened behind the scenes but it's entirely possible that rosenstein and others are talking saying You've got to do something because if you don't, he's going to use this for grounds to fire you. And he's going to. So all of this is really, really messy behind the scenes. But again, I think both of you have highlighted this. It is just a direct attack at norms and beyond norms at the institutions of governance. Uh, yeah. Despite all the we can have lots of sort of ethical debates about how Rosen's. Rosenstein. Rosenstein. He goes by he goes by either, so I like to switch back and forth. Okay. Does he really go by either? He said either's okay. Right. <laughs> Didn't you know what your name is? <laughs> Rod, I'm going to call him Rod. Um, <laughs> we can have all these ethical debates about how Rod should respond to this situation, but we can't get away from the fact that he's being put in this situation yes. by Donald Trump, right? Yeah. And and we haven't talked about yet that what Donald Trump is doing is exactly the thing that he's complaining about ha the last administration having done. So the idea that the president or that there were some politically motivated investigation and that that is so preposterous that it's the greatest political <laughs> yes, scandal in history... I demand that the same thing happen. <laughs> right. Like I, I, that, how to? So I, I mean, beyond, it's just in terms of like pure logic. It, so if Barack Obama did this, it was wrong. Therefore, if Donald Trump is doing it, it is also wrong. Right? right? You can't you can't say that they did it, and therefore I'm going to demand that the same thing. I mean, you can. He's doing it, but <laughs> right. but you know the the irony of it is I, like. 
No, absolutely. And it goes even further when you think about, so apparently tomorrow they're going to reveal information about this source, this uh, Cambridge University pre- professor. They're going to they're gonna reveal the information, you know, who he was, what he was looking at, the nature of those conversations, and what he found. So if, if we assume that Trump is a subject of the Mueller investigation, which I think, I think that's been out there, he's now going to have information about what the FBI gathered on him. Right? I mean, it's just, and it, it, that's problematic. Revealing the name of a source is also problematic. I mean, I, again, in a nonpartisan way, the, the FBI says it's very important that you don't compromise these sources so that, you know, they're safe and you can get more information. You know, future sources are dependent upon knowing that the United States word is good. And we're just revealing this because Devin Nunez, or Nunez, whatever, I just forget his name, uh, wants, wants information. Nick? How did the name of the source, was it through uh, Congress or I thought it was through the media that it came out? It came out through the media initially. All right. um, so then I, I, I mean, that's that's on them. But the but, media had to get it from somewhere, right? right. So the question is, what did, you know, was somebody from yeah, the administration. I mean, the media shouldn't have leaked it. Yeah, which is, right. Right. And that, they were playing this cat and mouse game with that as well. All of them, you know, plague on all their houses. But it starts because, you know, congressional Republican leaders are pushing for this information. Trump is demanding over Twitter. It's just, again, all of that. And then tomorrow, it will be all Republicans that are getting briefed on this information. The Republicans said no Democrats can sit in. Good. That's the, that's the part. It's all tell Nick's terrible. If they felt like there had to, so if Rod felt like he Rod. had to have some sort of investigation, <laughs> it seems like they, he could have thrown something at this that wasn't as partisan-y as this is. Some sort of other, you know, we'll have a full-fledged investigation and issue a report, in which we'll include people out, or we'll bring in people from outside of the Department of Justice to do this investigation or something. But to let just a bunch of Republicans see some stuff and them go out and then, you know, create the story that follows is, again, the, the thing that that Trump is so, uh, and Republicans are so upset about is the politicization of the legal process. And that's exactly what Trump is demanding and it's exactly what Rod Rosenstein is giving him. Yeah, it's been effective. The The institutions are caving because they're worried that if they don't cave a little bit, uh, they're gonna be completely undermined. So, okay, we'll, you know, we'll have the inspector general look into this and oh, we'll give you a little bit of information about a source. And I think Rod is thinking that if I give a <laughs> little bit, it'll stop him. But Hitler didn't stop, Nick. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, geez. No, just, You're I, really going man, with hyperbolic bullshit. So okay, okay. Wow. No, but, <laughs> Bye, guys. All right, that was too far. Sorry. Uh, but the whole idea that, you know, this, this if you give Trump a little bit, he will, it will, no, he's going to keep pushing. He's going to keep attacking this, you know, the Department of Justice. He's calling the whole thing the criminal deep state. It's not just the deep state anymore. It's now the criminal deep state. Hmm. I think we should be incredibly worried about the fact that this nonpartisan institution of the Department of Justice and the FBI have been politicized by the president. Um, it's... I mean, you're, you're exactly right. If you Thank play, you. Yeah, <laughs> we should be concerned. So uh, the, the thought experiment is assume, even, even if you as a listener think that Trump is a victim in all of this, yeah. right? Assume he's guilty. Assume that he's not. Assume the next president comes along and they're a Democrat and they do something illegal. This has totally undermined the ability to actually keep a president in check. If you have politicized and and undermined the Department of Justice and the FBI, the idea of so you know, I think of like a Republican rallying cry about about expansive government and being concerned about government overreach. 
part of the part of the role of the FBI and the DOJ is to you know, and this investigation is to keep a check on the president. And so, you know, this is we talk we can talk about hear people talk all the time about and we've talked about on here the expansion of executive power under Barack Obama. And then people are upset when Donald Trump is the president. Right. If you're going to give the power to the president, you have to deal with it. And so if you're willing to do this for Donald Trump, you have to be willing to live with it when Hillary Clinton is elected president. That's right. not going to happen. But, Ooh. you know, when that's whoever gonna, you hate is elected you should be dead by then. <laughs> no, that's right, because you can't just go back to saying, OK, we're not going to politicize these institutions anymore. It, uh, I, I don't know. This was I, I, what's most troubling for me is, is how good Trump is in his attack and how little pushback there is from the institutions. From the press, I think the press is, is not really, doesn't have much of a backbone on this. Democrats are, I mean, the Democrats are up in arms, but that doesn't matter, right? If it we're so hyper-partisan that their critique doesn't matter. Mm. Um, it, it all goes back to voters, right? So yeah. the people, it goes back to people who are electing officials into office, who are consuming media. And so the media is trying to please the people and politicians are trying to please the people. And, I, you know, we've talked a lot over the past year about the politicization or the, you know, mm -hmm. the... The, the party identity as the, the strongest predictor of political views. It's not that views create party identity, it's that you're a Republican and that shapes how you feel about things. Um, and it seems like that's strong, you know, that's more extreme than it's been in a long time. And I go back to, it, in, in an old system, it's hard to imagine this happening, right? If, if, if you came, if you were a Republican because you believed in law enforcement and law and order and small government and all these other things this would this would upset you right, <laughs> right. And so but it, the the fact that we go to our party identity first in deciding how we feel about issues yes. that is why Donald Trump can be so successful in this situation yes. by attacking the FBI and people who otherwise would have a lot of faith in the FBI and law enforcement are immediately drawn to that party position and if I put myself in the Trump supporter's shoes and I hear him say, if I'm thinking through their eyes and he says, this is a political campaign, this is a spying situation, I, I buy that, right? Like, why would the FBI looking be looking into my campaign? I haven't done anything wrong, right? That would, that would trigger you in a way where you're like, absolutely, these institutions are corrupt. So I understand why why the supporters are responding. I'm upset that Trump would push in that way. And I'm also mad that but, somebody like Paul Ryan doesn't have the guts or Rod well, Rosenstein or somebody. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah. I, I agree that the people should be the be-all, end-all of this discussion. The fact is that they're not. No. Uh, realistically, their elected officials, which is hilarious, are the ones that are creating this narrative and not doing anything about it. If you're talking about reigning in executive power, you need to bring something to the floor. Like, realistically, most people don't have time or give enough of a shit to really worry about this stuff. That's why we have representative government. You should be the ones that are, uh, again, reining in these privileges that have gotten completely out of control over the past several administrations. So until that happens, this is going to get more and more polarized to the point where none of this, this doesn't matter. This is going to keep happening. And it does. there's no will on either side of the aisle to do that, certainly not on the Republican side because they're in power and want to stay in power. And the Democrats are attempting to grab that power. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's it's a power struggle. It has nothing to do with balanced government and the will right. of the people. It's complete but, bullshit. I'm but, that maybe see, depressed. No, no, that's you, still, see, I, I got you there, Nick. <laughs> but that still that still goes back to the people, right? To say that it's Donald Trump's responsibility. Donald Trump is a product of this, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. it's Donald Trump campaigned on this. It was essentially a negative campaign, not in the sense of like negative it was it, he didn't campaign on a whole lot of issues he campaigned in opposition to issues right he camp he was the he 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 campaigned against barack obama and against all that barack obama had done i i don't think that there's a whole lot to donald trump's political no. you know ideology other than hey people hate barack obama and i can get elected on that yeah. right and so so it is it is down to them to do it but we are so deep into this partisanship that we're only electing Partisans. So we're not electing right. people who the the John McCain's of the world, whether you like him or dislike him, the idea of a man who sort of makes up his mind and will side with the other party if necessary. Um, I, I you just they, that's an, that's a an endangered species, I mean, right? The, yeah. It's it's realistically you see the same thing already happening with the midterms and and you know the other end of the political spectrum and Democrats and progressives and liberals. It's not about we need to get back to we'll talk about this more later get back to a you know moderate form of government and rein in this behavior it's we're in opposition to donald trump and we're going to you know put all of our chips on identity politics and things that make you angry at the opposing side it's not about compromise but it's what's astonishing about all of that is you're right and and individuals are willing to compromise democracy in the process Mm -hmm. right it's it's you know my identity my party my whatever that is is more important than the democracy itself it's 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 astonishing how quickly democracy can crumble I like how Nick made a, a really good point, and your response was the astonishing thing about that is you're right. <laughs> if it were astonishing that Nick were right, no, no, no that no. was the correct response, <laughs> by the way. Oh, oh all right, we, we probably should move on. I demand that we talk about beers. All right, I, I'm sorry that I made a Hitler reference. I, I try well, not Hitler to. Hitler references that. are the best. No, they're but I, I, I caution against them because they're bad. But it just fell a certain way. Why do you apologize? It's I don't slip, apologize. It's a slippery slope. It's, it's, it's a slippery, slippery slope, slope to Hitler. It's the same slippery slope yes. that Donald Trump is on. All political roads oh. lead to Hitler at some point. <laughs> All right, beer. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Mason's Brewing Company, which is out of somewhere in Maine. Brewer, Maine. How about that? That's an appropriate oh, hey, place. I get it. Um, and I'm drinking their West Coast Pills, which is a German-style Pilsner dry-hopped with Citra, and I like it a lot. It's, I, I, I mowed the grass this morning, and this would have been damn good after I was done with that. It's a little more carbonated than I like, but the, it's like <laughs> it's like light, but it's got that citrusy flavor to it. Really good. Sounds I will. Good. I will. Yeah. So when you finish mowing the, the grass at 9.30, just crack one of those and go. Yep. <laughs> yep. Hey, these final exams are done. I'm on summer break. Start drinking at 9 a.m. Morning beer. <laughs> Nick, what are we having? So we uh, actually, I had this sent, uh, this beer that we tried, uh, sent to me by one of my oldest and, uh, and dearest friends. It's from, uh, it's from Portland. Uh, it's from Modern Times Beer, uh, like I said, out of Portland. Uh, it's uh, Dual Monarchy. It's a New England IPA, I believe. It's um, it's kind of a, a very not very heavy, um, but very um, 
what's the word? Chewy? Chewy, the cloudy, there's a lot in it. I mean, yeah, it is so a, it's, yeah. it's citrus, there's like hints of tropical fruit and mango. It's got a really distinct aftertaste, yes. which is, I, I, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. Um, at, at first, it kind of punches you in the face with that aftertaste, <laughs> but then once it kind of gets on your tongue, I actually, I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, so. I, yeah I'm going to have to try their other stuff. I'll have to ask them about that. And that can is fantastic. The can is great. It's a giant can. It's really, it's really nice. Really, really, really nice. And you said, it's a, is it a double IPA, or what is it officially categorized as? A New as? England IPA. Oh, that's right. New England IPA. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, liked it a lot, so we'll have to try more of their stuff. Well done. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, if you have beers that uh, you either, well, probably don't send them into us because we don't have. No, mail, a, mail us them. beer. All right, you want to give out your address? Enjoy. Nick lives at. <laughs> <laughs> Go um, on a rant about how terrible Trump is, and then invite people to send you consumable. Yeah, things. do that. <laughs> okay. It's, it's giant, it sounds like liquid. I don't know. It's, it's, it's ticking. Um, yeah, if um, you can find the beers that we try uh, on the Untapped app that you can download on iOS and Android, um, feel free to comment on our stuff or rate it or send us suggestions or things like that. Um, since we didn't do it at the beginning of the episode because um, it was hot and I was doing an intro and not paying attention, I'll do this now. Uh, if you like the podcast and want to share the podcast, <clears throat> follow us on Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul, P O L. Uh, the pod, pod, wow, podcast itself you can find on SoundCloud, uh, Google Play Music, Stitcher, just about any podcasting platform. Uh, and then most of you listen on iTunes, so review us and share us on iTunes because that's nice. It's nice of you to do that. It we is. like that. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I All right. Speed rounds. Speed round time. I, I demand it. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> topic number one Trump said. <laughs> Quote, there's a very substantial chance that it won't work out, and that's okay. Speaking of the U.S.-North Korean summit, shockingly, it appears that Trump Kim, the Trump-Kim Jong-un summit is on the ropes. Trump himself seemed to hint at that, stating Tuesday, as I just said, there's a very substantial chance, substantial chance, that's, that's out there. It's not going to happen, but it is okay. Even if the meeting does occur, it is clear that denuclearization has been taken off the table by the North Koreans. It's not surprising that Mr. Kim has no intention of giving up his nuclear weapons, but it significantly significantly complicates things for the Trump administration. Can Trump claim victory if the North Koreans don't denuclearize? A vague promise to denuclearize in the future feels pretty disappointing. I'm disappointed, Nick. Uh, Especially given Trump's attacks on the horrible one-sided Iran deal. On Tuesday, Trump went out of his way to guarantee Mr. Kim's safety, stating, quote, he will be safe. He will be happy. His country will be rich. Is this just another example of Trump being outplayed in the international re- arena? If so, he can kiss that Nobel Prize goodbye, Phil Barker. <laughs> no, <laughs> I love how I just throw it all at you. This, I know, I know. Uh, I mean, this goes in the cat. This goes on a long list of things that are totally unsurprising, right? <laughs> um, the, the, again, we talked a few weeks ago when everyone was ready to award Trump the Nobel Prize about the ways in which this was not going to happen. That at some point it was going to not. Now, we didn't talk necessarily about how the talks wouldn't happen, yeah. but that Trump's idea of denuclearization and the the North Korean regime's idea of denuclearization were worlds apart. And so it, this is this is unsurprising um, at all. What What is a little surprising is how Trump, who is who campaigned on and who has made a career out of supposedly being this fantastic negotiator, yes. right? 
and in a number of instances with China, um, la- you know, last week with China, with with North Korea, and this, he like puts this really hard line down, and then just doesn't just cave, but like goes to the other end. Like he's not even it. He's it's he has taken off of the table the so if if this crazy leader ploy was working he totally undermines that by now saying he's going to be safe and rich and happy like what yeah. part of you know if if it was the crazy thing that was working then it was the threat that we're going to nuke you and we're going to assassinate you and all these other things and now they're walking away and we're like that's fine they're going to be prosperous and happy everything's great like i i, I don't understand how the the myth of him as a good negotiator holds up if you're north korea Aren't you happy with developments? You've been acknowledged. There's this discussion of a potential meeting. Did you see the coin they made, Nick? They're going to make it. They made a coin. Did they make a coin? Yeah. Now apparently Trump wasn't involved, but on, on one side is Trump. Was it made of radiated lead or something? <laughs> one of these military coins. Mm-hmm. One side was Trump. The other side was Kim Jong Un, who they called the supreme leader. Hey, so he's on, you know, we finally got one. Kim Jong Un <laughs> has got himself on an American U.S. military coin as now the supreme leader. Like I feel like I'm happy if I'm Kim Jong Un. I honestly think, and I'm some of this is devil, devil's advocate. Some of this mm-hmm. I actually believe. You you decide. Um, we report. You decide. <laughs> um, uh, realistically, I, I, I mean, and we talked about it uh, a few episodes ago. I don't know if it was with Tom or somebody else, or maybe it was just us. Yeah. Regardless. Um, like this is standard practice for the North Koreans. When something like this happens, they make a promise or there's some breakthrough and then they pull back on it. And I think they pulled back on a meeting with the South Koreans that was supposed to happen prior to the meeting between Kim and Trump, which again seems to follow their MO. What is different about this situation is when these situations happen, there's this either outcry from the international community or this there's a major uh, um, capitulation to where you know we try and make something work or you know NATO not NATO um, the UN or there's some sort of you know outpouring of economic aid or you know um, uh, decreasing of sanctions or something like that Trump didn't do that he but which I think is realistically a strategy that hasn't been tried before if you just let it sit there and they're the ones that pull back from this now and you're going yeah he could be happy he could be satisfied his people will will prosper North Korea will be great if they don't want to do that that's fine like it's that's just what it is guys we we did what we could but but doesn't solve the problem no it doesn't solve the problem it absolutely (laughs) does not solve the problem but we know that the alternative to this is either we go hard ass like we have previously or like he's done previously which hasn't worked or we capitulate which he's not going to do Uh, and you know that it is only going to uh, to further show our weakness in this situation, or he lets it sit there and he throws it back at them, and we see what happens. My fear is is that this is I be- call it strategic <laughs> patience. <laughs> trademark you you have a situation now where it it appears that north korea has played trump and we will see there's still more to come so it's entirely possible that north korea is looking for future engagement and they come back to the table i think phil's right last week china played the united states uh it's i'm not i'm not feeling very good about where iran is so our leaders like saudi arabia may have played the united states israel i think has been able to manipulate trump so suddenly our president is is because he doesn't do his homework because they don't do the normal work of diplomacy 
is allowing the United States to be compromised on these global agreements, and that's that's a big deal. It's that's significant. I I, I don't. Yeah, no, you're right. I, okay, that, that's I my second. I'm right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that people were taking us terribly seriously before, but I I, I mean. The other, the flip side of this, I suppose, and I, I heard the bell, but the flip side of this is that maybe this plays into the crazy leader thing because yes. you have to think that if you are North Korea, who spent like the first year of the Trump administration trying to figure out what the hell is this guy doing, like how do we understand this guy yes. who's been threatening fire and fury? If you back out and Trump's like, they're going to be prosperous and great. God bless you all. They've got to be like, holy shit, what is happening? That's right. What, what? Who is this guy? Like, they, this isn't they anywhere in the no book. What's going on. Yeah, Nikki Haley did do an interview this week where she was talking about that she was telling the North Koreans that she was basically using the Nixon is crazy strategy. Like, Trump, Trump's just going to bomb you. you. You better be aware of that. So it is certainly a ploy. I'm not sure if Trump is in on the deal, though. That's the right. thing. I don't think it's an intentional. It's not that he's sitting down and thinking, I'm going to play the crazy leader. Right. He's just being Trump. Right. Exactly. There's also that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Topic number two. The NFL. You're free to kneel. Just make sure it's in the locker room. According to new rules adopted by owners, NFL owners on Wednesday, NFL players will be allowed to stay in the locker room during the national anthem. How nice of the NFL. But their teams will be fined by the league if they go onto the field and kneel. The NFL is clearly trying to get ahead, get out ahead of an issue that President Trump used to hammer the NFL last season. Previous players, uh, previously players, had been required to be on the field for the anthem. Commissioner Roger Goodell stated, "Quote: It was unfortunate that on-field protests created a false perception among many that thousands of NFL players were unpatriotic." <clears throat> now, to me, this feels fairly corporate, like a corporate response to the pushback uh, the NFL received over the players kneeling. I'm curious to see how the players themselves respond to this. I'm also wondering whether this isn't just an, one more example of an institution caving to Trump and his outlandish, and I would argue in this instance, arguably racist behavior, right? So he's pushing, and the NFL, because of financial reasons, is saying, let's find a middle ground. I, I mean, I you can say that it's his racist position. I think a solid portion of the country believes that everyone should stand for the anthem. Yeah. I... I, I I d- the people, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. You just yes. don't respect democracy. No, I think do there's you? a. It's di- always about the executive. There's a distinction between thinking you should stand for the national anthem and then attacking African American athletes for not doing so. Right? There's so that's where the race element for me seeps in. I think he's not attacking white players for not standing for the national anthem. So I think there's a racial element there. Um, but I mean, it didn't. Again, it didn't come out of a vacuum. He was. He's. He's giving voice to an opinion that's already there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, again, regardless of how he puts it, and it obviously was not eloquent in any way because nothing is. It's. It's there. Mm-hmm. Like it's. It's. You can't deny that 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 sentiment is pervasive across a solid portion of the country. Go ahead. So uh, no, no. I, <laughs> Um, I mean, I, this is another one of those weird things to me in which the the idea, it seems to me a fairly conservative idea that someone should be able to have a different opinion and not be persecuted for it, right? Um, I, this is not a, you know, this is not a, a First Amendment issue because it's not the government that's imposing this ban. It is, you know, they work for a company and the company's telling them how they can behave, but um, it's weird to me to see something along these lines of you know, what it, it, 
I don't know, free speech seems, uh, it oftentimes is associated with the ACLU and whatnot, but it seems like a very conservative yes. notion, right? That, that you, you are free to think what you think, right? You don't have to think what everyone else thinks. And so it's weird to see the conservative element line up behind this. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess I understand why the NFL is doing it, right? It's about money, but... Um, but, but I think your first point is really important, Phil. I mean, this was a, a, an issue for conservatives where free speech was important, and you had the right to protest. You had the right mm -hmm. to say what you want to say. And the idea, what, we're, what the, the NFL compromise was, you can protest in the locker room, right? You, you can't <laughs> do that publicly. Sight. And again, the NFL, it's a private organization. They have, they have the right to do so. I understand why they do so. This was an issue they didn't want to touch. You know, Trump has been hammering them. Uh, he's been supporting NASCAR, right? I mean, kind of feeding on that dynamic there. And the NFL is going like, how did, I, how did we get caught here? They, they didn't see this coming. But I also think the NFL players, the African-American players who are pushing back, they have the right to argue for the way in which race has not been understood and the way in which they feel prosecuted as distinct, you know, by police and whatnot. I, I think that they have a right to voice those, those yep. views and the fact that conservative voices are now not supporting that is it's not it's understandable okay well i will see how many actually continue to do that and how many fires actually get yeah pretty we'll see how many players well, continue to kneel on the field mm -hmm. and, and i haven't seen sorry, go, ahead. go ahead no go ahead i haven't seen the details but it's weird to me that they're finding teams and not players yes, exactly mm -hmm. yes now the owner of the jets came out and and to his credit said basically if my players want to continue to kneel I will pay that fine every single week. Mm -hmm. The owner of the Houston Rockets, uh, not Rockets, Houston Texans. Texans. Oh yeah, he's 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 not he's not <laughs> yeah. a fan of the kneeling. He had though. a very different perspective. Was basically talk to your your fellows and tell them like this is inappropriate. So I, I this he is was a, he was the one who got in trouble for the statement about letting the inmates run the asylum yeah, or something yes. like that earlier. So you may see a divide. This issue may not go away. Well, you're right, Nick. There may be a divide between some teams where their players, the owners, I should say, are allowing their players to do this and others are not. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, in the end, like you, you said, and you said, Phil, it, this, is, this is a business decision. Viewership was down last season. Um, attendance was down last season, uh, I think, to historic lows. Uh, if that continues, and realistically, if these protests continue, that, that level of viewership and attendance is, is going down to continue and that's not a feasible feasible business practice yeah. you, oh, go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead no i don't no, no, do you do you think the kneeling no. is what's leading to that i mean i there's i poor quarterback I, play sure for me, it but... plays part of it no <laughs> i i did i stopped watching because i was fucking tired of it like i, right. I just don't and, care and you're but in the middle of of con, you know this massive concussion crisis and right. all sorts of other stuff going on it seems weird to isolate this as the, I, I the people who i know who are massive NFL fans and who have a problem with players kneeling aren't going to stop watching the NFL because players are kneeling. It doesn't seem like that's the thing that is costing the NFL viewership. Probably in the end you're correct, but it's something that is public enough and that doesn't seem to be going away and that it has this weird mm -hmm. tie to the whole political debate that it's enough to put a pall over everything that they do that they just don't need and realistically they don't have to deal with they are a private organization that can do whatever they want if it hurts their bottom line they don't have to put up with this shit i i don't agree with it but at the same time that's what it is you know i, I wonder if there's any price to pay for this policy in that people i wonder if how many people will say 
if you're going to basically silence your players who are speaking out about an issue, then I'm out as well. I don't know that that's, you know, again, it's, I don't know that people you know, it's a care good question. that much. To... I, I don't know. As a minority owner of the Green Bay Packers. Uh... <laughs> wait, wait, you're a minority? A minority owner. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I own one share of the Green Bay Packers stock. South Pacific Islander, if you didn't know. Which way? Which way are you voting when it comes up for the ownership? They don't let me. They only let me vote yes. They don't give you the no vote for you know the owners. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think the NFL is caught in a place where the game itself is struggling because of concussions, because of fewer players. To be honest, because of lack of quality quarterbacks. And so that is part of the problem. But then you throw this on top of it. It's a serious issue for the NFL long term if they don't find a way to get fans back on board. Um, I'm really curious to see how players respond to this. I am very sympathetic to the player perspective on this. I wonder whether they were involved in the negotiations. If not, this could backfire on the NFL. Mm -hmm. I say let it die. I'm tired of it. Start from scratch. XFL. Bring the XFL back. It's coming back. Baseball? It is coming back. You want to watch baseball? I, I love baseball. Okay. Only because I can go there and drink in the middle of the summer. It's really... It, <laughs> All right, next topic. I demand the next topic. <laughs> Pompeo's Iran plan. Surrender now. All right, in the weeks since President Trump announced the U.S. was withdrawing from the Iran nuclear accord, the big question has been, what is the U.S. plan? On Monday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced the plan. Total Iranian capitulation. In an extraordinary hawkish speech, Pompeo stated that the administration planned to use the full American arsenal of economic and military might to end uranium enrichment by Iran. Pompeo promised to bring, quote, unprecedented financial pressure on the Iranian regime to track down and crush Iranian operatives and their Hezbollah proxies around the world and to inflict bigger problems than they had ever had before. Um, all right. So like all plans, it has 12 points. That's really important. And it's so extensive that it's hard to see how Iran could even comply. Uh, we knew that likely Pompeo would advance a more aggressive approach to Iran. Do we think this is a chance of being successful or is it going to make things worse? Uh, and where are grumpy European, uh, European allies in all this? Are they going to be receptive? Phil Barker. <laughs> so I no, our European allies are not going to be receptive. I mean, that, so I want to go back to the the topic that we had with North Korea because we, again, this is where the weird change of rhetoric with North Korea comes into play. So we had talked about how um, backing out of the Iran deal might affect the North Korea deal. Is North Korea willing to sit down at the table if they don't believe that a, a an agreement will be upheld? This is where it comes back around now. So. In the opposite direction, Donald Trump has spent a year threatening to nuke North Korea, and now they're backing out of, you know, their their commitment to meet with us. And our response is, meh. <laughs> so that seems to me like if that undermines any, like all of this rhetoric that we're throwing at Iran. I think in light of North Korea, I think if I'm Iran, I just kind of brush that off. Go talk to the Europeans and see what you can figure out. And you know, Trump is going to have the Trump regime is going to have lots of uh, you know, fire and fury in their rhetoric, but it's all going to amount to nothing. Mm-hmm. I looked at the twelve points. Mm-hmm. I liked all of them. I oh, thought yeah? these are these are good points. You know, it was it was like eliminating uh, their support for Hezbollah, get them getting them out of Yemen, stop enrichment permanently. I mean, all of myself these these would be great. But it felt to me like a wish list. There's no right. way you're going to get Iran or anybody else to support that effort. Uh, to pursue that, so you it's, it's can't not... stop them enriching uh, uranium, and you can't stop their support for Hezbollah. Well, you can't do that. You could at great expense, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, which I, I I don't think that Trump is willing to do. So, well, that 
Donald Trump has this all or nothing approach to negotiations, right? And that's where this comes in. And and that that's not how international negotiations work, right? If you're a huge business person and you're trying to negotiate with a small business person, you can give them an all or nothing demand and then, you know, buy them out or sue them or threaten them or whatever. You with a with a foreign sovereign nation, you don't have that same power. So you can have this wish list, but there has to be some sort of incentive for them. Yes. And just to say, do these 12 things. <laughs> right. And then, uh, like, uh, Iran's going to be like, you know, fuck you, right? <laughs> right. Um, so there has to be, that's where there has to be some level of give and take. And there's no, which is what the Iran deal was, even as flawed as it was. And this is a, there's no give and take here. There's no, you know, it's it's a do this and we won't kill you. But right. I don't, I don't, but that doesn't seem like a credible threat. I don't know right. that the What's American the people are willing yeah. to actually do that okay. at this point. So you're saying we should buy them out. And by buy them out, you mean take over Iran. Is that what you're saying? Add blind? it as our 50, 51st state. Iran. Iran. Sounds, yep. sounds No, great. Puerto Rico's 51. No, 52. <laughs> Iran could be 52. <laughs> no, Iran. I think Iran might jump the list. Or Puerto Rico, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, mm, I, I still don't, I, I, mm, the two scenarios still seem very, very different to me. And they, you know, we've seen this enough times to know that they put these statements out there and they're extraordinarily harsh and hawkish and then they start walking it back. And a lot of these, they've walked it back too far in, in, in some of the Korea, situations. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, potentially. Yeah. We'll see how that shakes out. I don't agree. Um, <laughs> I, mm, this seems, I still think this seems like a more immediate threat given the geography and geopolitical stance of Iran and the Europeans and Russia and Syria and everything else that's involved with it. I think if you can get them to capitulate on at least, I'll give it three, mm-hmm. three of the points mm-hmm. uh, to a significant extent, I would call that a win. You're right. There's no way in hell they're, they're ever going to go for twelve, all 12 of those points. Not that they even could in a you know relatively short amount of time. But if there is some sort of capitulation, especially in terms of uranium enrichment and support for Hezbollah and all of the other little proxy assholes that they have around there, that's I still count that as a win. I, I, I think that's what it's going to turn into. I, I think you're right. I, you don't, if you can get some of this, that's a win. But this is where I think we as Americans fail to put our – we get so busy hating other people that we fail to put ourselves in their shoes. And so as much as we might have a problem with Iran, if you think like you're from Iran, um, if if someone were to say to the U.S., hey, here are the 12 things, do it or we're going to fuck you up, we'd be like, screw you, <laughs> right. right? Like we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Like who the hell do you think you are? And so – uh, you know, we we are more powerful than Iran, but to basically lay out a list of 12 demands with no like no benefit if you do these other than we won't kill you. I, it seems a very human reaction to as Iran just dig in and say, screw that. Like, you don't get to dictate these things for us. And, it and that's me. where the, the sort of you have to have the carrot along with the stick. Yes. And that's that's what worries me about mm-hmm. this. And it strikes me that and again, I'm all for all 12 points. I think it'd be wonderful. But our leverage and our ability to do this is much more limited than, than it was prior to the initial Iran nuclear accord because Europe is done with us. They're like, screw you. You know, we're going to continue to to deal with with Iran in our own way. The, you know, the UN kind of feels much the same. So you don't have you need support if you're going to impose a, a sanctions regime, 
you've got to get Europe. You've got to get a large segment of the United Nations on board. It feels to me that you, you that's not going to happen. And so I don't know how you get them to agree even to the three points because Iran is rational. They know that Europe is ticked off at the United States. They know that much of the world is ticked off. But they know that Europe and the rest of the world is ticked off, yeah. quote unquote. But do you think Europe is ever going to side with Iran over the U.S. in this situation? I, I mean, I, I, and this is something we talked about last time or the time before. It's the strategy behind this is you're that asshole in the Middle East that has been causing trouble for four decades, five decades at this point. In the end, if you can't pull yourself together and you know, uh, at the very least stop supporting terrorist organizations in your region that also have an influence on Europe as one of your closest neighbors then you're the asshole like it's it there's there's a a um an order to the support that is given from the Europeans and realistically if Iran if Iran's immediate reaction again is to tell the US to fuck off and uh, you know, go balls to the wall with their, their uranium enrichment and support for Hezbollah and everything else that is in those 12 points, then they are not a rational actor. They're ones that are a problem then that needs to be dealt with. <laughs> but they're going to be but just because you disagree with them doesn't mean that they're not rational, though. But they're no. too smart. They're too smart to go to that level. Mm. I, I, I think I, I agree with you, Nick, that Iran is a troublemaking regime, but they also get that. The U.S. has very little political capital now. That everybody, and people, just, I mean, the international community despises Trump. Let's test that theory. Well, <laughs> and so, but Iran is gonna is gonna stay low enough where they say, well, you know, is, is it that bad? Saddam Hussein did the same thing. He tested the, you know, the U.S. no-fly zone, and eventually the world was like, come on, it's not that big of a deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if Iran pursues a similar behavior where they cause trouble, but they keep it at a low enough level. That the rest of the world is like, oh, it's not worth but, it. Mm-hmm. But what's the what is the I, even like? I think that level could be fairly high. I, sure. I don't oh, yeah. see Europe. Europeans aren't going to collectively without the U.S. invade Iran no. or attack yeah. Iran, right? So it still comes down to the U.S. And I think the U.S. and the European divide is is you know stark at this point. And mm. I think the U.S. is we're still in Afghanistan, right? right? Like, and Iraq and all of the memories of, like, I think we might really like as an American people, the idea of like war might seem great to us, but I, I, I think we would be pretty, I still think we'd be pretty reluctant to start another war in the same region. I, I just, I, if I'm Iran, I think what I, the, the, the sort of, consequences like do these 12 mm-hmm. things or else i'm not real impressed by the or else right yeah. the or else isn't very credible to me at this point yeah I'd, I'd like to restate that i don't agree with a lot of the things that i just said <laughs> but <clears throat> the fact is that they they are troublemakers yeah. and they're something to the dynamic needs to change yeah. in in some way i think i i I'm very hesitant to think that there's any large portion of the American population that would be gung-ho for another war in the Middle East right now. <clears throat> and we would much rather have a, a peaceful Iran, which is something we haven't seen in half a century. And uh, the way that they're acting right now, though, does not suggest that they're interested in doing that. I mean, you know, the the facade of being part of this nuclear agreement and <clears throat> attempting to, uh, again, quote-unquote, um, moderate their political system 
doesn't do anything for me when, uh, again, they're going out and supporting terrorist organizations throughout the region. That uh, it just, mm-hmm. it's, it just seems ridiculous. Something needs to change. Yeah. That's all I, I know. Should we jump from one trouble state to another? Yeah, please. All right. Venezuela, the death of democracy. So Nic- uh, President Nicolas Maduro won a second term as president of Venezuela this week. There is little question the election itself was heavily rigged in Maduro's favor. The country has been in historic economic collapse with widespread hunger, soaring prices, and a failing health system. Maduro claims Venezuela's economic woes have been caused by the foreign powers trying to undermine his socialist government. The reality is his regime is deeply corrupt and inept. Yet democracy didn't die overnight in Venezuela. It was a slow method, 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 oh. <laughs> slow process. Methodical. <laughs> yeah, Scott, was, I can say that. I don't know. <laughs> Started by the previous president, Hugo Chavez. Chavez was a socialist, but attacked and manipulated democracy in ways that are not dissimilar to Trump. While I don't think the United States is likely to follow the path of Venezuela, are there not some lessons to draw from Venezuela's democratic collapse? Phil, you're the comparative <laughs> politics professor. Am I talking crazy, or can we learn something from the democratic demise in Venezuela? Before we do that, I like how you couldn't say methodical, but you managed to skip over when you uh, spelt pervious president. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My eyes aren't so good, Nick. <laughs> Go, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so as a, as a comparative politics uh person i i think there's always lessons to be learned from other countries um i i mean i think you're 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 right you don't want to compare trump to to you know chavez or whatever but um there are but having said that i'm about to compare trump to chavez (laughs) I, i think the bigger like so if you look at venezuela and you look at other countries there there are lessons to be learned. And, and this goes back to ideas we've talked about with the, you know, the erosion of norms and all of these other things. I think as, as Americans, we tend to think of democracy falling in a revolution or a military coup. This like instantaneous thing. Democracy's working. It's working well. And then suddenly, you know, something happens. There's an overthrow of the government and, you know, communists take over. <laughs> Um, we, you know, we think of the Russian Revolution or, or whatever, um, the Soviets marching throughout Eastern Europe and imposing communist governments. The vast majority of the time, particularly today, that's not how it happens. And in fact, political scientists have come up with this idea of hybrid regimes, right, in which they're not authoritarian. They're not democracies. They are countries that essentially are elected dictatorships, right? So the, the facade the, you know, all the structures of, of elections and democracy are in place, but all of the kind of civil protections and the checks on power are so fully eroded that the, the, you know, the party in power, the leader in power has control of the judiciary, has, you know, through either indirect or direct control of the legislature. And, and what you end up having is a country that looks democratic, but does not act democratic. And that is what you've seen in Venezuela over a decades-long process, right? And you can see similar things happening in Turkey, and we've talked about it in Poland, and you know, they're around the world. Russia, Russia is a fantastic example of this. There are still elections. Vladimir Putin still gets elected. The the opposition has been so decimated that there aren't they aren't real elections, and ballot boxes are stuffed, and there's you know the state media is controlled by the government. All these other things. Um, so it again, it looks on the surface like a democracy, but the core of it is rotting, right? Um, and in that sense, right, we are nowhere near that in terms of Venezuela. But that mm-hmm. is why people get so upset right. 
when it seems like people are overreacting when Trump attacks the the, the DOJ or you know threatens to imprison his rival, yes. right? Those sorts of things when they happen and people get political scientists get really worked up and people say you're overreacting. This is why it's this sort of slow process, right? As you chip away at those things, you keep the facade of democracy, but it takes more than that to, to really, you know, function. And when you look mm -hmm. at what happened in Venezuela, what he did was he attacked the institutions that were pushing back against him. So when the courts were attacking him, he just stuffed them with more of his appointees so that rulings went in his way. And then when Maduro took over, Ultimately, the, the legislature was voting against him, so he dissolved that and created a whole new legislature that reflected his own interest by manipulating the elections. You attack the, the media. So there, there are a lot of, again, I think you're absolutely right to say that the United States and Venezuela are on totally different planes. But the attack that Trump carries out against these democratic institutions should concern us because that's how these other democracies that die began. There are lots of little parallels, right? Yeah. You know, Chavez, I think of Chavez was famous for, he had a, I think it was weekly television show where he would go on TV and Hello, Presidente. Questions. Yes, yes, where he would answer <laughs> questions from the from the people of Venezuela. And, you know, Donald Trump doesn't have that, but there's something that's sort of Twitter. eerily reminiscent. Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. About that in, I'm in sorry. The, in the, the sort of bypassing the, the traditional media channels, bypassing the traditional political channels, going straight to the people, right? This sort of populism. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are, again, it's, it, I, I really get, I get torn on this because I don't want to be too extremist in saying that, you know, Venezuela is where we're headed. But you also don't want to ignore the little parallels and the little red flags that pop up. That's why I think, you know, we get worked up about things that might seem small to to people, but are kind of scary because of the, the cumulative effect of all of those. Mm -hmm. That was funny. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> so one more thing on political science. When you look at, so there was this wonderful book called How Democracies Die. It was written by two Harvard political scientists in the last couple of years, last year, I think. And they compared democracies collapse in Europe in the 20s and 30s and the democracies collapse in the 70s, 80s and 90s in Latin America. And they highlight some factors that played out there and then they compare it to the U.S. democracy. And they say, like you said, Phil, we're not there. We're not even close to there. But some of the core issues that should be shooting up red flags, there are a lot of them that Trump is doing. And they're saying, like, these are things that you need to be aware of and to push back at a, a, a simple level to say, no, democracy matters. You can't do this. And um, yeah, it, the Venezuela model, it, they talk about the Maduro diet. The average Venezuelan has lost like 20 pounds on the Maduro diet because there's no food. There's nothing that to be had. That sounds so bad. That's right. Losing weight. The weight is like a good. This is, you always make fun of me for my analogies. But this yes. is one that popped up, right? How does the guy, how do you end up as Venezuela? How do you end up as the guy who weighs 800 pounds, right? right. It happens like five pounds at a time. Yes. So it's, you know, when, when you look, get on the scale and you're like, well, crap, I've gained five pounds since last week, you should think. Yeesh! I should be. I should be careful. I should be more. So right. it's mm -hmm. like that's where we are, right? As America, we've added forty pounds, and and that doesn't mean that we're 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 not eight hundred pounds yet, but we're on our way if we don't do something about it. That's good. We're eating too many Thanks. carbs. That, that, I like that. That's the, the smartest <laughs> thing that we've said tonight oh. or this afternoon. All right, final topic. You too can learn to tweet like Trump. 
Turns out Trump has a team of tweeters blasting out tweets from his official Twitter account, and West Wing employees who draft proposed tweets intentionally employ suspect grammar and staccato syntax in order to mimic the president's style, according to people familiar with the process. They overuse the exclamation point, they capitalize random words for emphasis, fragments, loosely connected ideas, all part of a process that is not as spontaneous as Trump's Twitter feed often appears. And while it pisses off East Coast elites like Dr. Phil Barker, Trump's base <laughs> absolutely loves it. Um, so, And I really think there's a strategy to all of this. And, and it allows him to put ideas out there without really saying something. Uh, and again, the base eats this up. This uh, we, this is a theme we've hit on multiple times through the, uh, the show tonight. But Trump is very strategic, if dangerous. Hmm. And there's a whole team working for him. <laughs> the... <laughs> I th- I find this fascinating because there was a you know early in the campaign, um, it became clear there was a, a way of telling who there were I guess two different phones or whatever that were being used to tweet out Trump's tweets and one was an Android and one was an iPhone and so you could identify which ones were Trump and which ones were his campaign officials. The the identifying by the phone was not really necessary because you <laughs> yes. could tell the difference. Um, it's interesting that they have essentially adapted his style right that the idea of trying to get trump to be different it feels like they're sort of giving up on that right so um we're gonna try to still have an input in the in the direction of policy and conversation and whatnot but we'll do that by adopting a trumpian style (laughs) this makes me really sad (laughs) (laughs) go barker just from a just from a general i mean not in it makes me sad just in the sense of i i love the idea of intelligent informed debate <laughs> and the idea that the president of the united states that the people the essentially the interns and the worker the people who are working for him are intentionally using bad grammar and poor capitalization is just <laughs> it's just depressing they won't it's miss just depressing apparently they won't misspell words that's one line that they draw barker so that makes you make you feel a little bit better they'll they, so if, a, if there's so, a misspelling you know it's from trump so when he tweeted something out about his wife melanie earlier yes. this week that was definitely that trump, was trump. <laughs> <laughs> i i wonder how pervasive this actually is because as we've talked about before he's a person who likes to be in control about mm-hmm. just about everything that that goes on uh and having other people speak for him seems to be pretty high in the list of things that would drive him fucking nuts. Um, I, 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 I don't know. Like I, we've seen the people that are part of this administration. I don't know why anybody is surprised by any of this, but I wonder again, how extensive that this, you know, proxy Twitter person sure. actually, you know, well, is. It sounds like there's a bit of a competition in the sense that there's a lot of people crafting these treats, tweets that they will then bring to Trump and show him. So you, you might still have to go through him. Well, then it's fine. He got, got his approval. That's a good tweet, man. <laughs> tweet it right away. It's great. It doesn't seem spelled right, but otherwise good. <laughs> that Make makes sure me even two more sadder. Yes. <laughs> that they are going to him for approval, and before they go to him for approval, they intentionally make mistakes to make him approve it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to bang my head again. We're in uncharted territory, <laughs> gentlemen. Just, I, well, also, the, again, it, elites, liberals love to attack his tweets. It's one of my favorite things is when I find a spelling error in one of his tweets. It's like a special moment. I usually try to, like, circle it and tweet it out. But then I realize, like, that's 
his base doesn't care about that. Like for him, that makes him authentic. You know, they talked about George W. Bush was a guy everybody wanted to go have a beer with. Donald Trump is not a guy who cares about grammar, Phil. He doesn't okay, I, care. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something very elitist now, which is that getting your fucking grammar right and your spelling right is not elitist. It's just right. Just spell right. That's not elitist. I'm not, being right oh, about something Phil. is not being elite. Can, can we title the episode "Spell Right"? <laughs> spell it R I T E. Yeah, that's even better. S P E L. No, I agree. It is. It, it, oh, it's the dumbing down of America. And again, to an earlier point we made. It is the president leading us along the, that path, uh, saying it's okay to capitalize randomly. <laughs> but this is the thing. Like, I, I, realistically, the first president to to take this approach was Obama. And I, I personally don't think any of those things were written by Obama because it oh, sounds no. like anybody could have written that it was shit. so boring. So, I, I mean, going forward, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to directly speak to the American public is, you know, if you have it reviewed for spelling and grammar and take out a few exclamation points, right. I, I I don't think it's necessarily a bad vessel for putting a message out there. There is an authenticity I, to Trump. I think yeah. we know more about him than we knew about Obama in terms of who he was as a person because of Twitter. Worse, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any problem with tweeting. I don't have a problem with Twitter. Why do you hate I tweeting? have a problem with the the fact that things are not thought through. They're random. They haven't considered the consequences. It's just like, whatever the hell I feel like saying, I'm going to say it. And like, damn, be damned. The you know the implications be damned. That's what bothers me about it. And then the way in which the media feels like it has to respond to all of those things. So if, I mean, that, if the tweets were substantive, but they had a bunch of exclamation points and a few <laughs> grammatical errors, you'd be okay with it? No, no. I just wanted to clarify. Just I, mean, wanted, I just want to clear this, this up real quick. This is the equivalent of FDR's fireside, you know, going on the radio. Like FDR's doing his fireside chats on the radio. But he does it like drunk and just rambles about who he's pissed at. Like that's, that is what this is. It's not good. No, it's, it's true. not good. FDR it's true. going on the radio was a perfectly good presidential tool, but not if he had done it that way. <clears throat> well, that, was, that, was, that was a fun way to end, Nick. That was... I feel like you get a little heated there. A little fired up. Grammar just sets you off, huh? All right. Bad grammar makes me mad. (laughs) Is that it? That's it. Oh, boy. But it's not it. No. Because it's a special day. It's a wonderful day. So tell us what day it is, Bill. Today isn't so much wonderful as tomorrow is going to be wonderful because tomorrow is Dr. Phil Barker's birthday we don't need to know a year you just need to know that he's old 28 28 years <laughs> 28. old <laughs> and if you want to email him or tweet at him please use the proper grammar and we've put together <laughs> a birthday song to close the show <laughs> happy birthday phil uh... But I can't. <laughs> oh my god. Well, happy birthday, Phil. Yes. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea this was coming. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> Blow out your candle! 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, and yeah. Barstool Politics. <laughs> Facebook yeah. at Barstool Politics. Um, untapped on iOS and Android for beer suggestions and all the things that we try. Uh, podcast, SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, all that good stuff. Um, and then iTunes, uh, share us and like us on there because we, we, we greatly appreciate that. And uh, I, I think that's it. We'll, we'll, I'll just skip the normal yeah. exit. But, um, yeah, anything else, guys? No, that was good. Happy birthday, Phil. Happy birthday, Thanks, Phil. Phil. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Yeah!